This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. This is The Property Show and I'm Mark Tan. Driving along the streets, one cannot help noticing the amount of vacant offices in Kuala Lumpur, which is estimated to be over 30 million square feet or almost 30% of corporate real estate space available. And the Medica 118 Tower and the Tun Raza Exchange Project will soon add more supply into an already overcrowded space. If there is a shortage of demand, then surely this will continue to place pressure on rental rates as existing companies have also downsized their offices due to the continuation of hybrid working practices. On the other hand, developers are trying to integrate green technology and sustainability practices into their projects, which adds further costs that may not be commensurated in rental rates. So what is the current state of ESG integration in the Malaysia commercial real estate industry? What's driving awareness and commitment among these corporations? And how do we measure these efforts and the standards and certifications behind it? And will customers pay for it given the oversupply situation? To share some insights with us, we have Amy Wong, Executive Director, Research and Consultancy, Nike Frank Malaysia, who recently completed a research paper on ESG and corporate real estate. Good morning, Amy. Morning, Mike. Now, what's been driving the awareness of sustainability practices amongst Malaysian commercial real estate organisations? Right. What has been driving it? I think there are a few drivers, key drivers. I think one of it would have been, uh, would be the regulatory compliance. There's the regulatory push. There's also the fact that Malaysia has signed on to Net Zero 2050. So we are all headed towards that. There's also a lot of organisations now that are looking to pursue positive impact in what they do, as well as, um, of course, there's the desire to enhance um, their reputation. And um, what's thrown in is perhaps even talent retention and attraction. So that's what we're seeing right now. Based on your research white paper, 53% of the respondents don't rate ESG as being important. So how significant and important are ESG sustainability practices to these organisations? Or are we mostly looking at greenwashing for now? I don't think it's so much of greenwashing. I think it's more a lack of awareness in terms of how can they jump onto the ESG ship. To a lot of these SMEs say, they feel that ESG is maybe a bit um, corporate jargon, perhaps, where they don't understand what it means. But actually, in terms of awareness, you could perhaps indicate that there are examples of companies who have gone onto this ESG bandwagon. In Malaysia, uh, we emphasize very much on the E of ESG, which is the environmental factor. And we have a lot of green building certification. Um, we have a lot of companies who have embarked onto these certifications. They have green buildings. Um, and it's not difficult to um, actually embark on this. Even if you do not want certification, you could look at things like easy solutions, low-hanging fruit like water harvesting measures, energy-saving features. These kind of things would also put you on that pathway. So um, I wouldn't exactly say it's greenwashing for now. For a lot of them, it's uh, the lack of awareness and data to support the need to jump onto the ESG bandwagon for now. In your experience dealing with the property developers, are you able to tell the difference between a developer that's genuinely trying to implement an ESG plan versus one that's just 
greenwashing for PR sake. So I would look at the matrix, the, the, the measurement metrics that are available. So there are quite a few. So if you look at them, um, there are micro metrics where within the building itself, you can measure your water saving, energy saving um, features how they um, help in terms of indoor quality, indoor air quality and things like that. So that's one. And then you look at the building itself where you get accreditation for being a green building. That's GBI, Green RE, all kinds of certifications available. So getting those certifications, not exactly greenwashing. You, you actually have to meet certain matrix for that. And then, of course, then you have the wider matrix measurements. Bursa has adopted GRASB. And that is an entire sustainability ESG index, which looks at the overall organisation and how they work with, for instance, suppliers, um, how their supply chain is like in terms of all these ESG measures. So there are many ways where you can determine whether or not these companies are greenwashing or not. When there are the numbers, then um, I would say perhaps um, they are doing, trying to do what's right. Uh, you mentioned Green Building Index. So in Malaysia, who is the body that issues the certification to verify a Green Building Index? Okay, right. There are two right now, two indices. It started off with GBI, the Green Building Index, which will give you that certification. There is also now the Green RE, which is also another organisation which um, certifies green buildings. So we have two right now in Malaysia. So Amy, beyond regulatory compliance, what else is driving this wave of ESG integration? I think innovation is a very key driver for ESG integration. Things like, for instance, energy efficient technologies. Um, these are attracting investors uh, with um, their promises of reduced operating costs and a cleaner carbon footprint. Then there's renewable energy sources like solar panels, hydro energy, um, which is driving sustainability. Um, water conservation, waste management like recycling, composting, upcycling, zero waste movement, turning trash into treasure. So all these innovative technologies, I think, is a key driver for people wanting to jump on board the ESG bandwagon um, because, you know, it's like the latest technology, the latest smartphone or the EV vehicles that we have right now. Everyone wants to get onto it because it's new, it's interesting. And I think innovation is one of the key drivers as to why ESG is now being talked about. Now, based on your research white paper, how are the respondents incorporating sustainability principles into their real estate development strategies? Um, I guess the examples that you could take, um, let's say, for example, our new super tall building that's about to be completed, Medeka 118. Medeka 118 um, will try to achieve triple green platinum certification from LEED, Green RE and GBI. So three certificates they're looking for and platinum level, the highest. It will in, They will incorporate various energy efficient measures, LED lighting, zone daylight sensors, rainwater harvesting and uh, low emissivity glass. Um, then we also have um, the second example in our paper will be the TNB Platinum Campus. So TNB is our um, energy company. <laughs> And this will be the new flagship headquarters of TNB. And they aim to acquire the GBI Platinum Certification, um, which is the highest certification available in, the, in our country. And they will have sustainable architectural features, green building practices, and very extensive water and energy management strategies. So besides that, let's say besides 
new builds, new buildings. We have also seen ESG initiatives in retrofits and new fit-outs of existing buildings. So in terms of retrofits, there has been the successful retrofitting of Padana Putra office, as well as Manara Weld. And um, these focused very much on energy efficiency. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, they have actually saved energy up to 30 to 40%, which is great in terms of operating expenses. And in terms of fit-outs of workspace, um, we have seen a lot of new office spaces actually incorporating elements like recyclable fit-out materials, biophilia, acoustics, indoor gardens, natural air quality and lighting, as well as ergonomic layouts. So the examples you have given, I suppose, is KL's best-in-class Monaro 118, TNB Platinum, I think Monaro Well and Padana Putra, right? Mm, yes. Any examples from outside Klang Valley, like in Penang and JB? Um, yes, actually. Um, we have Monaro Jalan in Johor, which is a grade A office building, 30 stories in Komta JBCC. Um, it's Johor's first green certified gold office building. Um, and then we also have Plaza Shell in Sabah, also a great A office building, and it's um, Sabah's first green office building. It's certified with Silver LEED certification. In your paper, you also talk about green lease as part of the strategies. So mm. maybe you can help us understand what is a green lease and is it actually gaining popularity here in Malaysia? Right. A green lease is a very new thing. So what a green lease is, it's a lease agreement that incorporates a very specific clauses in the tenancy agreement where the owner, the landlord and the tenant mutually undertake um, very distinct responsibilities and obligations concerning the, the sustainable operations and occupation of a property. So, for example, these typical green leases will have clause Clauses related to energy efficiency goals, water conservation, waste management and sustainable procurement, as well as other environmentally friendly practices. And um, what we have seen this do is that um, the aim of this green lease is to reduce OPEX, operating expenses, and of course to improve occupier health and productivity and maybe perhaps enhance building value. So in this country, is it popular? It's, um, so far, Sunway REIT has actually taken the lead by being the first REIT in the country to introduce Green Lease Partnership Program. And as of today, this program has gained quite significant participation across their office and retail tenants as well as 100% of their hotel master lessees. So this is quite successful. Uh, so tenants who have committed to this program actually work closely with Sunway to improve energy efficiency, perform specific water-saving measures, and promote reduction of waste to landfills. And this is all in an effort to reduce scope tree emissions while transitioning to circular economy, of course. And uh, currently, Sunway Reed has about 1,300 tenants and they aim to achieve 100% participation in this program by 2030. On the property show this morning is Amy Wong, Executive Director, Research and Consultancy, Nike Frank Malaysia. When we come back from the break, we look at the numbers behind ESG and whether it's a simple cost-benefit analysis. This is BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Property Show, where we have Amy Wong, Executive Director, Research and Consultancy, Nike Frank Malaysia. Before the break, we look at the drivers of ESG awareness in the commercial real estate industry. Now, Amy, 73% of your respondents believe the biggest barrier in ESG adoption is cost-benefit concerns. 
So is there a premium for ESG adoption and are clients willing to pay for it? So yes, the adoption of ESG involves additional capital expenditure beyond your conventional costs. But if these innovative technologies that you use, um, uh, that you invest in with your additional capex, actually deliver on what they promise to do in terms of water harvesting, energy saving, then there will be a reduction in operational expenses, which will greatly benefit the building's tenants, right? So yes, higher capex, but uh, lower OPEX. And additionally, about 80% of the occupiers in our survey actually expressed that um, ESG features influence their workspace preference, uh, meaning they choose their office if it's uh, green-friendly. So this influence actually means that it may extend to a willingness to pay a premium, which means higher rent, for offices with green features. Um, So higher rents... Um, benefits the landlord. Um, so it's it's a balance. Yes, it costs more right now. But also in terms, I, I want to try and believe that in terms of economies of scale, eventually when everyone adopts all this technology, the technology will cost less to produce mm. and therefore uh, cheaper to adopt. But I think during this uh, post-pandemic time, we have seen the trend of people moving out of their existing offices where they could be paying seven to eight ringgit per square feet in rental and moving to cheaper locations where they're paying four to five ringgit per square feet. So let's take, for example, the best-in-class that you mentioned earlier, Medeca 118. Uh, how much would their rental be on a per-square-feet basis to justify this green building index innovation uh, premium? Right. So um, I don't have the statistics specifically as to how much more premium would a green building command in terms of rent. Um, however, um, what we are seeing is that in established countries like London and uh, markets like Sydney and Melbourne, um, our research that we conducted back in 2021 actually showed that there is, um, there is a 15% increase in terms of rent uh, for these um, prime quality, premium quality uh, green buildings. Of course, um, this, survey wo- this survey was actually done on um, the highest quality, highest specs for green buildings in these cities. But um, because in Malaysia right now, we, we have a lot of options mm. uh, for tenants. So in a market where it's um, a tenant's market, tenant's office market right now, um, there are the, the availability of options mean that um, you can't as a landlord, you can't negotiate too much on rents. I, I suppose you're referring to the current oversupply in the commercial real estate property space. So judging by the numbers, is the situation as severe where that we have actually a 30% oversupply for commercial real estate in, in the current Malaysian Klang Valley situation? Let's look at it this way. We need to create 30% more demand for our office space. <laughs> and for that, we'll need more foreign FDI investments coming in. Yes, new companies coming in. Now, beyond the carbon pricing framework calculations, are there any other quantifiable or tangible financial operational benefits from implementing ESG that you're aware of? Um, we actually used the survey done by Knight Frank back in 2021. It's uh, the Knight Frank 2021 Active Capital Report and Sustainability Series Research Papers, where we indicated that the premium associated with green-rated buildings can reach up to between 12 to 18% for the highest 
um, highest rated green buildings in these cities. And these findings actually demonstrate that there are potential financial in advantages that investors and developers can gain from embracing these sustainable building practices and obtaining uh, the highest green certifications. Are there any common data points or common standards that the industry agrees to track so that all stakeholders are essentially tracking the same number and on the same page? Not right now, as far as I'm aware. Um, ESG is still quite new, I think. Um, so I don't see um, these kind of matrix being um, formalised yet. Amy, in your opinion, what challenges remain and what's next for Malaysia leading up to 2050? Well, in terms of immediate challenges that I'm seeing um, across the board right now, this year itself, I've done quite a few ESG talks. So the immediate challenge that I see is um, cost concerns. Um, there is also a lack of awareness and, like you brought up earlier, insufficient availability of data, um, which are, all these are key obstacles that are hampering a wider adoption. Um, and... Organizations need to understand um, that the understand what the financial implications are in order for them to adopt ESG measures. Um, and everyone in this ecosystem plays a role in showing that um, ESG is not rocket science. <laughs> it is definitely doable and doesn't have to cost much. Um, but in the long term, towards twenty fifty, I I think what. What the major challenge is, is uh, climate change. Like the rest of the world, um, it will pose significant challenge to Malaysia, including rising sea levels, extreme weather events, changes in our rain patterns, right? Um, and I think I read this the other day, um, quite a sober note, actually. Uh, there's a 66% chance that we will pass the 1.5 degrees Celsius global warming threshold between now and 2027. From the commercial real estate point of view, you know, who would be the key stakeholders or partners in the ecosystem to really drive uh, Malaysia's 2050 roadmap? I, I think a few uh, players uh, would have to play key roles. Um, number one will be the real estate developers and building owners. They have the central role of integrating ESG principles into their projects and operations. Number two will be the occupiers and investors um, because they drive the demand for such workspace and investments, which will then drive ESG adoption um, because they prefer these kind of buildings. And then there's also the certification bodies. Like in Malaysia, we have Green RE and GBI. They would um, provide the frameworks and standards to assess and certify these, um, the environmental sustainability of these buildings. And of course, the fourth, we have government and um, regulators who will establish the policies and regulations to incentivize ESG adoption. Um, and of course, we cannot forget the NGOs and um, the sustainability organizations who advocate for this ESG adoption. And finally, Amy, why would any real estate player jump into ESG given the picture you painted earlier on where it's very difficult for you even to charge a premium for a green building versus a brown building because of the current supply issue? Um, I, I take this on the long-term basis. I think e investing in ESG isn't just about doing good. It's about making green while being green. So 
it's the ultimate, I, I, I find it the ultimate win-win situation where you can save the planet and your property portfolio at the same time. And I suppose we are doing this for our future generation. Yes, we are. Amy, mm. thank you very much for your time. On The Property Show was Amy Wong, Executive Director, Research and Consultancy, Night Frank Malaysia. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.